welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word. It really, truly is a gift. Lord, it's been just, it's been four years since we've, get, uh, since I've been able to preach through an epistle, through a letter in the New Testament, and this one is just so amazing, Lord, and I know I cannot wait to grow in Christ this year and just to be uh, blown away by who you are and who we are in Christ Jesus, Lord. And and so, Lord, as we start off this series, may you may many souls come to know Jesus through this. May many more enter in into the precious union that we have with Jesus and all the benefits that come with that. God, may you uh, strengthen us and unify us as we look at our union with Jesus, bring union between brothers and sisters. And would you, with this series, just strengthen our church as a whole to fight the realms of darkness and the spiritual warfare that we're in today. God, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was a child, one of my favorite things to do in the dry climate of Southern California, you know, the state that's always on fire, uh, is what I love to do is take dead plants and dead leaves, and I love to sit out in the scorching sun with a magnifying glass and start fires. (laughs) I was wanting to be an arsonist. Um, Not really, but (laughs) that's probably so illegal today there. Um, But I love doing that. And and it's something that's interesting about the magnifying glass, because why isn't that the the dead plants just... Go up in flames automatically. What is it about a magnifying glass that does that has that effect, right? And and as you know, a magnifying glass it magnifies the power of the sun, the heat, to a level that causes the leaf to incinerate, right? It magnifies smaller things. If you were to use a microscope to look and look at something, you're usually looking at small things in order to make them big so that you could see them and study them. What's the difference between a telescope and a magnifying glass? A telescope magnifies things as well, but it's not magnifying small things and making them visible to the human eye. It's magnifying great and marvelous things that are so far away so that we could behold the beauty of it. I was looking at some pictures uh, from the Hubble telescope. I think I have three behind me. It's just crazy. Like that is not a painting. Like that is actually the universe. And that that photo is called the Tapestry of the Blazing Starbirth. I wonder who names these things. Pretty cool. (laughs) And that is... 163,000 light years away, and it's a picture of a Magellan, Magellanic cloud. It's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a picture of a galaxy 
And it just, like God created that. And that's out there. And so a telescope is magnifying. I think we have another image. What else have we got, Brad? So this was taken in August 2020, uh, 2020. This is Jupiter. That's amazing. There's other planets bigger than Earth out there. Like, I know we know that, but we don't really sit and think about that. You're like, well, is there life on Mars? No, I'm just kidding. That's the next sermon series. <laughs> there's not. All right. Next, there's, there's a galaxy. That's one of the thousands and millions of galaxies out there in the universe. It's called Galaxy NGC 2525, okay? And that is 70 million light years from Earth. And the telescope is capturing that. And God created that. And those stars, those itty-bitty stars are massive. And there's galaxies upon galaxies that our mind can't even fathom, right? The, oh, the height and the depth and the width of the universe. It's incredible, the book of Ephesians, or really the letter of, an Ephes- of Ephesians, is written by the Apostle Paul. And I really think that it functions as a telescope. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is a marvelous, like those galaxies, is so marvelous. But sometimes we are content with looking at it from a distance. And the book of Ephesians is a telescope that places the beauty of every aspect and every facet of the gospel right before our eyes. In fact, it's not Paul is not arguing against false teachers. He's not like he, he's not ar, uh, arguing like in Colossians. He's not arguing against false doctrine like in Galatians. Ephesians really just functions as like a song. Like Paul is writing to these churches and he just bursts out in praise for all that Jesus Christ has provided in the gospel. And the letter can really be summarized. So there's six chapters. Chapters one through three are all about what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's all about the gospel and the benefits. And then chapters four through six are all about our response. How do we respond in light of these truths? How do we live? It's that simple. But it's jam-packed with so much gold that we have to mine it. Paul wants to show Gentile believers in the region of Ephesians that the good news is not just God uniting man to himself. That's important. But really the gospel also encapsulates God uniting everything, all things, heaven and earth, people Animals, nature, heaven, the spiritual realm, and the physical realm is being united in Christ Jesus. And so we're, and if you're a Christian, you are a part of what is called the cosmic reconciliation. Cosmic reconciliation in Christ. And that is the main theme. What is Ephesians all about? Your friend asks you, and you say, cosmic reconciliation in Christ. <laughs> like, cosmetology, what? I don't want to go to cosmetology school. Isn't that hair and makeup and stuff? Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. Cosmic, cosmos, the world. And the reason why theologians pick this, I didn't come up with this, all right? I'm trying to be faithful to what Ephesians is all about. One writer says that the letter encourages Christians today with the cosmic scale, the worldwide, the global scale of Christ's reconciling work and the challenge believers to maintain the unity 
of the church that Christ purchased and that the Spirit produced. And so in the gospel, God is uniting all things in Christ. Think about it. Why do things need to be united? Because of sin and death. Sin has estranged all things, right? Once your enemy, now seated at your table. What is that? It's called reconciliation, right? And so cosmic reconciliation then is relating to the universe, the cosmos, the heavens and the earth. When was there a time in history when the heavens and the earth were essentially like heavens, when I say the spiritual realm, that's where God dwells, the spiritual realm, God's kingdom and earth were one. When, when was that? Was there a time when that, when was that? What? And creation. creation. Yes, that's right. Creation. The garden of Eden was God's temple and the world was to be filled with God's glory. It was when man and, and God lived together in perfect union, but sin separated it, right? And so Ephesians then is talking about the great plan of reconciliation, not just for individual sinners, but for corporate sinners, but for churches, but for the globe and how Christ is uniting all things in him. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 10. This is the core this is the core verse. This, is, this encapsulates the whole entire purpose of this book and explains what cosmic reconciliation is. Ephesians 1, we're going to be jumping around Ephesians tonight. Ephesians 1, will start in verse 7. Paul is talking about the benefits, the blessings that we have in Christ. And he uses this language, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Him, right? Uh, look at verse 7. In Him, that is in Jesus... We have redemption through his blood that has washed away our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. That's usually how we think about the gospel. Jesus dying on the cross for our forgiveness by grace. But then look what Paul adds. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, that is God the Father, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's cosmic reconciliation. It is the realignment of proper submission to God's authority in the heavens and the earth. Think about it. Even Satan and his demons, they, they rebelled against God. And we are now in a spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, with in the heavenly places or, or the spiritual, spiritual war with Satan and his demons and God's people. So even in the spiritual realm, there is hostility. And even between on the earthly realm, us and man, there's hostility between God. And in Christ, he's bringing all together. God, through Jesus Christ, will have the victory. And, and he will bring everyone under submission to him. Jesus is the Lord, the exalted Lord. And that's one of the major themes in Ephesians. Christ's lordship over all things, over all creation, nature, over all creation. Did I already say that? I already said that. Over all the spiritual realm, the physical realm, over the heavens and the earth. What Christ is doing is re he's starting a new creation, right? If any of you are in Christ, you're a new creature. 
And so, just as Genesis 1 starts off with creation, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is, has already started his new creation on earth. Look at, verse, look at verse 20 in chapter 1 to emphasize this cosmic reconciliation again. So Paul burst out into prayer, and he's praying for the people that they would have their hearts, verse 18, eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they may know what is the hope to which they've been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And where's Christ now? Seated and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And look at verse 22. And he put all things under his feet. That is present language or past tense. And he put all things under his feet. Currently, Jesus is reigning. (laughs) Doesn't feel that way, but he is. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. The church is his body. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so as we speak, Right now, currently. I mean, I wonder if you think about this. God is reconciling all things in Jesus Christ right now. Ephesians isn't talking about universalism, that all people will be saved. It's not talking about that. But that in God's plan in eternity, it is to exalt Jesus Christ and by exalting him, unifying heaven and earth. And as we speak, that is already happening. This reconciliation of the heavens and the earth is already taking place. How do I know? You've seen it. If you've ever been on a Sunday and you've witnessed a baptism, that is proof that paradise has already come. Jesus' new creation has started. If you are a creature, or sorry, if you are a Christian, you are a creature, and a Christian, you are living proof that the new creation has already started. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 talks about how we were once dead, but now in Christ we've been made alive. It's already happening, going from death to life. Second proof that I know paradise has come in Jesus already is if you've ever been to church or a Wednesday night, which you're here, and you see Christians all gathered together, praising the Lord. If you've ever taken the Lord's Supper, have you ever thought about this? That every single Sunday, since the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room, every single Sunday since then, Christians have been taking the Lord's Supper. And so when you do that, you are joining in to the thousands of years and the trillions of believers through all time who have witnessed, starting with those who have witnessed Christ, have witnessed the new creation, and now are celebrating it. We still do that. That's what I mean is every single Sunday when you look around, you see people from different backgrounds and different, with different testimonies being saved after, out of different sins. And you look around, you're like, it's not just about me and Jesus. Look at this team that I'm on. Look at this church. 
And that's exactly what Paul says. He says, he put all things under his feet, verse 22, chapter 1, and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body. Some of you are like, man, I wish I could see Jesus today. All you have to do is go to church on Sunday, and there you see the body of Christ. And what's sad is so many people say, you know, if, they want to, if you really want to show a witness to Jesus, don't look to the church filled with broken people. You know, just show them Jesus in the gospel. But Paul in Ephesians, what he's trying to get his people to, to see, the people that he's writing to, is that when the world or when people look to the church, they should see Christ. They should see Christ. Because those who are in Jesus Christ have this, are, are being transformed into this new entity, into a new temple dwelling, and we're going to get there. And so look at, look at chapter 2, actually, just to prove this. Chapters 1 through 3 talk about this paradise that has come to us individually, but also to the church. Ephesians 2.11, what is the church according to Paul? Let's look at verse 19, Ephesians 2. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place, a temple for God by the Spirit. You guys have already mentioned, I asked you a question. What are some moments where heaven and earth have come together into one place? You said the Garden of Eden, creation. But all throughout the Old Testament, the whole story of the Bible, and it is a story, story is the progression of, all the way pointing up to Jesus when he unites heaven and earth. And we see this. It's like a mystery. You see clues of this. Okay? What are some other clues that God gives us in the Old Testament of heaven and earth coming together? The first is the tabernacle. Right? Where God would dwell with his people in a tent. And he would travel with them. The tabernacle then turns into the temple. God dwelling with man. In the promised land, a place of rest, a place of flowing with milk and honey, this garden-like place. But over and over, God's people choose the world and their lusts over Christ and over the blessing. So God exiles, banishes them, just like he did Adam. But then he brings them back, and then someone comes. The Word made flesh, Jesus, the true temple, right? God and man in one. Fully God, fully man, to bring reconciliation to sinners. And when he does that, it says that the church grows into a holy temple. In him, you are being built now, being built presently together into a dwelling place for God. So you want to see cosmic reconciliation. Go to the church. That is where heaven and earth meet. That is where we see Christ on display. That is what Paul wants to show you through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to dig into the details of that. But this, man, it's just an awesome book. One of the applications that I have for you is to go this week and read through Ephesians 1 through 6. 
took me 18 minutes. And I stopped a few times just to pause and pray. And you could do the same. 15 minutes just reading through it. And so we see that paradise has come through the new creation, you individually, but then also through the church. That's chapters 1 through 3. But chapters 4 through 6, we do see another glimpse of paradise in the moral transformation of the church. So look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1. Verse 1. Paul ends chapter 3 in a section on the gospel and all the benefits of, of Christ. And then he says, this is how you're to respond. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is, verse 4, one body. Here's the unity. One body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. That belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Pretty awesome. (laughs) What does that mean? The seven things that unify us there. In other words, because you've been saved, because you've been given all these benefits, chapters 1 through 3, verse 4, therefore, walk in a manner worthy. Walk Pursue holiness, pursue humility, pursue gentleness. There is a moral transformation that takes place. As I said, Paul's argument is that the church should be the body of Christ who fills all things. And so when the church is not displaying Christ, you have to say, okay, we have to ask the question, does Redeemer students, is Redeemer church, when people see it, when they come, do they get an accurate view of Christ. And if they don't, it's because Redeemer Church does not understand the gospel. That church does not understand the gospel. Because if you understood it and believed it, it would lead you to moral transformation. So when you look at a church and you say, I do not see Christ there, it's probably because they do not understand or know the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need to preach through Ephesians. But it's also an indictment. Again, I'm not saying Redeemer is the best church. We have to ask ourselves, when kids come, when students come, do they see Christ? Many of you are proclaiming to be Christians. And so the church is the gospel made visible. The church is the gospel, is Christ made visible? Christ called out sinners. Yes, he did. (laughs) He ate with sinners. He called them out. So that doesn't mean, well, yeah, you know, Redeemer, they preach against homosexuality and uh, transgenderism and all these, you know, they're not really a loving church. No, the church doesn't look like the culture. It just doesn't. It looks like Christ, <laughs> right? And so then we're like, what does Christ look like? Go to Ephesians, go to the Gospels. There's 85 chapters of, in the Gospels between the four that you can learn about Christ. And so, that's a good message for your life group. Does our life group emulate Christ? Paradise has come, but it isn't fully here. We still live in a broken world, right? And the fullness of it, it will be completed. So paradise has come or already, but not yet. 
Salvation has come already. The kingdom has come already. The new creation has already come, but it's not fully here. And one day it will when all things are under his feet through the churches, the churches walking in Christ and standing for Christ. And one of the main things I want to take away here is that the vehicle, the means by which Jesus subdues all things under his feet is the church. We are the army to go out and take dominion through the preaching of the gospel. And all this is included in what is called the new life in Christ. Life in Christ is, I think, a good term for cause. It's a little bit simpler. But through Jesus Christ, he gives life, not only to us, but to the world. And that life is only found in Jesus Christ through our union. And with union with Christ produces unity with brothers and sisters. And so why does this matter in closing? Why, does it, why Ephesians for us? Simply put, because ever since the fall of man, mankind has sought to make earth heaven. And they have failed and failed and failed and failed. Many people your age are seeking heaven here on earth. And they cannot find it. <laughs> Isn't that what Adam tried to do? I'm not going to obey God. I'm, I'm going to bring, I'm going to be my own God. And so I'm going to, I'm going to rebel against God. What about the tower of Babel? Let's create this tower and this city. That's just great to make a name for ourselves. God disperses them. Man fails. Rome failed. They tried to make Christendom, right? <laughs> to be this place of this utopia, right? They failed. There's people in America or America that are trying to do the same thing. They put all their hope in America, trying to make it heaven on earth. Fail. They try to make relationships. They're heaven on earth. If I just have this relationship, then man, boom, my life is good. Or marriage or career or sport or your grades. We're trying to find heaven and bring heaven by our own strength and you can't do it. And Ephesians was written to encourage believers in AD 61 to take their eyes off of this earth, to take their eyes off of themselves, and to look to the cosmic Lord of all, Jesus Christ, who has provided everything we need and will one day bring all of it together. The answer is in Christ. And I want you to see that. The church in Ephesus was suffering as well. And I could find no other greater comfort than to remind suffering Christians that there is more to life than just this earth. And you will go through it. You, some of you, I pray this never happens, but you, you will lose loved ones. You will walk through horrific sicknesses. Some of you have already done that. You'll go through excruciating pain. Something will come up maybe this year that you did not expect. And you need to be reminded that God, Jesus Christ, is Lord over all. He is the King. And He is uniting all things. And though this momentary suffering is terrible, one day He will wipe it all. Right? Some of you, you walk and you're struggling with your sin, guilty and shameful. And then you remind yourself, Jesus Christ has provided everything I need. And one day He will remove this sin from my life. For, for good, for good. And he's already beginning that work. And the work in which he started, he will complete. 
Philippians 1.6. The idea of cosmic reconciliation, Christ reconciling all things together, also destroys man-made divisions between those in the church. In fact, in Ephesians 2, there was this terrible racial divide between Jew and Gentile. They hated, they, they hated each other. And Paul's solution to the hatred is the gospel, <laughs> is Christ Jesus. It's found right there. And so that's one thing, that those who have been united to Jesus Christ, you are given a new identity. You're not identified by your sexuality. You're not identified by your sport or by your job or by your ethnicity. That is not your chief identity. Your identity is Christ. And so when you come to take the Lord's Supper, let's just say, or communion, and you're standing next to multiple different brothers and sisters from multiple different ethnicities and races, but you're all one in Christ, right? Before Christ, you're all one. And that's what Jesus has done. It used to be just national Israel, but now it's every tribe, tongue, and nation. And one day in heaven, we're going to see it all together. Brothers and sisters from Africa, from Europe, from Asia, from Canada, of all places, they'll be there. And South America, and and Mexico, and I could go on and on and on, right? All believers. That is cosmic reconciliation. That is the beauty. That is the grand vision. Why is this important? I want to end with this. Ephesians 6 is the most extensive portion of scripture on spiritual warfare. And you guys think a lot about demons, spiritual warfare. The letter of Ephesians teaches, and Ephesus was in, they were totally into the occult. They were all polytheists. They all worshiped pagan gods. And the letter of Ephesians teaches, teaches us that if you're in Christ, you belong to the universal church. The universal church is believers throughout the globe, right? Though you're here locally, you're part of Redeemer, you're also part of the universal church. And the universal church is the means that God uses to subdue all things under his feet. And so practically speaking, coming to a Wednesday night or coming to Sunday morning is not necessarily about you and Jesus, though that matters. It's not this individualistic view of church, but rather when you come to church on a Sunday, did you know that you are taking part in a spiritual war that is raging on as we speak? And this is why it's absolutely detrimental to your soul to not come to church regularly. Because what happens is there's a spiritual war going on and we are coming on a Sunday to lift a battle cry, right? Brothers and sisters in arms to proclaim the victory that we have in Christ. And here you are isolated in your homes or out and about. The perfect target for the enemy to go after. Right? And Paul is trying to say, don't you understand? The church is God's means of destroying the enemy as well. You get to take part in the victory that Christ has already won. In fact, you're the cleanup crew. You're just cleaning up after Christ. As we are proclaiming the gospel of reconciliation. Calling sinners to repent and to join the team. Look at Ephesians 6, 12, just real quick. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And in the summer, we're going to go through every single piece of armor. It's going to be awesome. And so the, the application is this. Believer, we are at war. This is wartime. This is not a time to sit back and to sheathe your sword. We are at war. Every day is a fight, is it not? Yes, the victory is won in Christ. But we're taking part in the victory lap. We're still fighting the last of the enemies. We're still hunting them down. I think of the Fellowship of the Ring, right? At the end, they kill off all these orcs, but then they kill, they take Merry and Pippin and they're running away. And Aragorn looks at the, at the guys, he's like, let's go hunt some orc, right? They, they, they pretty much won, but they're going out to finish the job. And that's what the church is doing. We're the cleanup crew. It's time to finish the job through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ supplies everything we need to do that. It's pretty awesome. And so join in on the fight. Do not sit on the sidelines. Because when you sit at home, what you're doing is you're leaving your brothers and they need you. You need to get in the fight. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't run and cower in fear. Join in. And that's what Wednesday nights are all about. And this is what we have to look forward to for the rest of the year. This is what Ephesians is all about. Cosmic reconciliation in Christ. Famous hymn says this, O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now that we can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With the shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Father God, I pray that we would be what the church is meant to be. And I pray that as we study Ephesians in the weeks to come, that you would just continue to show us the amazing glory of Christ Jesus, Lord. Bless this study. And I pray that this, this, this idea would be of cosmic reconciliation, this truth, would be fleshed out more. And that he would remember that Christianity isn't just about us. It's not just an individualistic endeavor, but there's a corporate aspect to it. We're, we're in this together in Christ. And I pray that there are many students here tonight that they would join in. They're still an enemy of you. I pray that they would repent of their sin, turn to Jesus Christ, and join in um, in, in, into his family as a son and daughter of the King. God, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.